We apologize for the delay. Your call is important to us and will be answered in the order received. We appreciate your patience. More than three months since the coronavirus pandemic caused a surge in Oklahoma's unemployment. Thousands continue to wait for unemployment assistance. Calling the Office of the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission is met with long wait times to speak with a representative who sometimes isn't able to offer immediate help. Thank you for contacting the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission. We're excited to introduce our brand new website at oesc.ok.gov. There you will find conveniently outlined resources to assist you with navigating the unemployment insurance program. The OESC's headquarters at the Will Rogers Building in Oklahoma City has been inundated with lines of people seeking assistance with their unemployment claims, with some bringing tents the night before to secure a spot. We were here yesterday, and we kind of got, we kind of, I kind of knew that I should be here early. So that's what I did. I came back at 9 o'clock last night and, and waited. Earlier this week, the OESC began hosting an unemployment claims processing event at the Reed Center in Midwest City to help workers who had issues filing their claims online. Shelley Zumwalt, the agency's interim director, said the goal was to process up to 500 claims each day during the event. The situation here is just, it's heartbreaking, and we're working night and day to try to get it fixed so that people aren't going to have to camp out, you know, or show up here really early in the morning. We don't want to turn anyone away. That is not something that, um, you know, I, w- I, I wish I could take every single person that's in that line, but because of COVID and, you know, social distancing, if we tried to take more than a certain number, I'm afraid we would have a different situation on our hands and have to shut down. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder, and on this episode of Listen Frontier, we take a closer look at the struggle many Oklahomans face to receive unemployment assistance, the state's struggle to get information from the private company handling debit card disbursements, and what it looks like when hundreds of desperate people spend hours in a line looking for help. The Frontier's Clifton Adcock has reported on the state's rise in unemployment claims and the trouble the government has had in dispersing benefits. Earlier this week, he wrote a story about the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission's struggle to respond to the thousands of requests for help they are receiving each day. So Cliff, to start with, can you tell us, like, what is the process for someone who's looking to file unemployment? So someone looking to file unemployment, uh, in a lot of cases, they can go online to the uh, OESC uh, website and uh, fill their claims out there. Um, For some people, you know, there's been some difficulties with technical issues or just, you know, hangups with uh, like PUA claims. uh, That's pandemic unemployment assistance claims. And they're trying to go there in person uh, to the uh, OESC headquarters. Um, and as you've probably seen on a lot of the news reports out there over the past few weeks, there's been long lines, people lining up at 1 o'clock, 12, 12 a.m. in the morning, uh, and then waiting overnight, basically camping out to try to get uh, some sort of assistance. Uh, so once someone has their initial claim filed, then they'll uh, 
uh, it'll be approved or denied, and that process, you know, depending on um, uh, how they're filing, you know, it can take uh, oftentimes uh, a couple weeks, uh, or if not longer, for them to get uh, actually approved. And there are still people out there who still haven't been approved, you know. So uh, once once they're done, then they uh, they would have to file each week, uh, usually on Sunday. That um, uh, you know, saying they haven't. Uh, done any uh, uh, labor they've been paid for or anything like that to continue those unemployment claims. And then once they start back to work, uh, at that point, uh, they, you know, would stop filing claims. Yeah. But as you said, I mean, many people are not, have not received the, that assistance, even though they qualify. I mean, what has been, what has been the, the issue for the state? Uh, for the state, a lot of it was uh, the, the old system they were working with, according to, uh, uh, Shelly Zumwalt, who's the interim director of OESC, um, you know, they're working on a system from the 70s. And, you know, since this pandemic really started affecting the unemployment numbers in mid-March, um, it just hasn't been able to handle it. They've been trying to patch it, you know, patch it up here and there. Uh, but ultimately, they say they're going to have to replace the system. They just can't do that, they say, right in the middle of this whole pandemic or it would create a lot more problems. So they're trying to get these uh, these PUA, these pandemic unemployment assistance, which for those who don't know is a um, it's a, unemployment assistance for people that wouldn't traditionally qualify for it, like big workers, uh, self-employed uh, people that might not have enough employment history to get unemployment insurance or insurance. And um, you know they're they're trying to put that system on top of the existing old system that was created in the 1970s. Uh, so they, it's been it's been moving along fairly slowly, uh, but they say they're making progress. Uh, on top of that, they don't have a lot of uh, workers uh, who are who uh, are able to answer some of the more technical questions. And so you get people who you know call in to try to resolve an issue, and they're waiting weeks to hear, or have been waiting weeks. Uh, to hear a call back to maybe resolve those issues. Yeah. So a lot of people are just showing up in person now that they've reopened. Yeah, and I guess I guess it's somewhat understandable. I mean, you don't necessarily have the staff to handle a you know a once in a generation spike like this in unemployment, and then as you said, they're they're working on a, a computer system uh, that's uh, you know 50 years old. Uh, so kind of a, a perfect storm on, on this. You know, a, a story you wrote this week. You also said that you know OESC is using a company to print and ship the debit card. So I, it looks like if people get that assistance, it, it, it comes on the form of, of a debit card. However, in some cases, the funds are being transferred off to cards and into fraudulent accounts, and um, and there's been some other issues. I mean, what what's the state doing to try to get a handle of these of this debit card process? Well, they've, uh, they've shut down the direct deposit uh, option for people who don't have their cards physically in hand yet. Um, as you said, Condo, well, we, we, I did a story a couple months ago on them uh, charging uh, $15 expedited fees. There were people reporting not getting their cards for weeks after their uh, claims had been sent to Conduit to print out the card with the money on it. Um, but they, you know, they, they would go online and fill out a, an expedited request, pay $15, and then within a couple of days, their cards would be there. Uh, that um, kind of put the the state uh, at, at odds with uh, conduit from what I understand, at least OESC. Um, so what's happened now 
as a result of this. And from what I understand, Conduit hasn't suffered any sort of data breach. So uh, they're not, you know, hackers aren't going in there and stealing people's information. It might be, uh, you know, identity theft that people are already have the person's information going on the Conduit site and, you know, doing the uh, direct deposit off the card. Uh, so what the state has done is shut that down. Unless you have the card in hand, you can't do a direct deposit. You had mentioned uh, uh, Shelly Zumwalt, the interim director, uh, is the director because the, the formal one left during kind of the height of this mess, or at least when this, this mess was first beginning. And it's, there's kind right. of been just a lot of controversy over this whole system and, and obviously a lot of frustration, especially from those who are, who are kind of relying on this assistance. You know, Shelly's been someone who's a governor has tapped in some different areas. I mean, she's with the Department of Health trying to kind of help navigate uh, the early days mm -hmm. of the pandemic. Uh, you know, she said that, hey, this is a, a heartbreaking situation and, and we're working crazy to fix this and I think it's going to get better. Are there any signs that they are getting a handle of this and that there is going to be some improvement in the days and weeks to come? Yeah, so they, um, as people have been lining up uh, at the OESC headquarters there at the Will Rogers Building in Oklahoma City, they've only been letting about 170 people in a day to process their claims. And, you know, people who have been waiting hours basically told you're out of luck or here's the front of the line pass for tomorrow, but we can't see you today. So they've been hosting a few um, claim events. Uh, they started on the 1st, which is, which was Wednesday, and we're holding, uh, holding another one today. Uh, where they're letting, this is a Midwest city at the Reed Center, and they're letting about 500 people a day in. We've also got um, uh, plans to hold uh, events there at the Reed Center uh, four days next week. I believe that's uh, uh, going to be Tuesday, uh, I'm sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I believe, um, and uh, trying to knock out 500 people each day there to you know uh, resolve their claim issues, and then they're also thinking about uh, holding events next week in Tulsa. They're saying, and they're also saying they're getting more people hired, uh, getting more people trained up where they can uh, deal with those technical issues over the phone. Uh, they're saying they're improving the website. They've actually started automating some of the PUA claims. Um, there was uh, some. And, and for the most part, this is still the case. When someone files a PUA claim, an OESC employee or contractor has to walk, basically walk that claim through the system. So it requires, you know, an, an employee to basically guide it every step of the way through the system uh, to get it approved uh, or denied. Yeah. So they're, but they've started automating that somewhat. And finally, Cliff, uh, we just saw some new unemployment figures come out this week. Uh, what are the numbers here in Oklahoma? The uh, number of new claims, new unemployment claims, has fallen uh, below where it was in early or in um, mid-March when this the spike started in unemployment claims. Hmm. Um, that was, uh, I believe, on, in mid-March they had 21,900 claims, and as of last week there were only 16,680 new claims. So now we're still looking at... Uh, high continued claims, basically people have already filed and been approved and are going through the system. Uh, it's still at about 150,000, 157,000. Uh, but um, from what I understand, the governor's office is hoping that follows these new claims and begins to decline.
Nathan Poppy is the editor of the Curbside Chronicle, a monthly magazine in Oklahoma City that is created for and sold by people experiencing homelessness. This past week, Nathan has spent time at the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission's office building and another facility in Midwest City, where each day hundreds of people have lined up in order to get unemployment assistance. So, so Nathan, you've tweeted out some photos you've taken this week, and you know those photos have actually been really stunning. I mean, not just the scope of the lines, but some of the portraits of the people in line, and and you can just see some of the desperation and despair that you know that many are are feeling. What have your conversations been like with some of those individuals? Yeah, um, I I think at this point I've uh, photographed portraits of at least a, a dozen people, and the the conversations are just kind of variations on a similar theme of, uh, you know, they're discouraged and annoyed and frustrated at the fact that it's been so difficult to just talk with a a human being at the Oklahoma Employment Security Commission. Uh, a lot of people have, you know, spent weeks just trying to call and getting denied. And uh, what surprised me from most people is how calm and patient they are. Uh, they're very understanding, but they're also uh, very frustrated at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've talked to everyone from some a, a nurse that was furloughed and is back to work and is looking for back pay to, to people that work at McDonald's that uh, haven't been able to collect a paycheck or any relief for since April. And obviously, I mean, the, the high unemployment is largely caused because of the pandemic, but the pandemic throws in another wrinkle into, you know, trying to stand in line to speak to an individual, obviously that challenges, you know, how many people state employees can allow in the building and, I imagine how people can interact in the line. I don't curious, were, were people talking to each other? I mean, everybody, I would imagine many individuals are kind of in a similar situation. Was there any kind of solace in, in being with others or was everyone, you know, social distancing themselves in, in this line? I mean, it was a real, it was a real mixture as, as far as, um, uh, the conversations people were having. Um, I think, I think most people at least talked to their neighbor and knew who was around them um, because these, these weights you have to understand are, are usually at the very least, you know, a couple of hours. So if you're not looking at your phone, you're, you're talking to the people around you, but yeah, absolutely. People are having conversations, kind of getting to know their neighbors. Um, these, these weights are uh, intense. So, I saw everything from, yeah, people getting to know uh, who they're standing with to a couple that brought a generator and a TV and started streaming Netflix. So there's, there's definitely a, a, a mixture. And there's people that are wearing masks and there are people that are not wearing masks. And, and uh, that's probably one of the, the biggest health concerns I see is just, yeah, there's, there's always... Uh, at least at the visits I've visited several times already, there's always hundreds of people. Um, and so it, it is, uh, it's not a great time to have lines like this.
to ask you a question about kind of the journalistic nature of of your time there. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think many people have seen these images and videos. I mean, there's been lots of reporters out there and, and news stations. And and this is important. It's an important story. I mean, people need to know about this. So it, it makes sense that it would get this kind of coverage. At the same time, I, I see some of these images. And I just wonder for, for many of these people who are who are going through probably one of the most challenging parts of their life, um, you know, to the, for that to be on display. How did you go about uh you know, interacting with individuals. I mean, I know you're a journalist that focuses on issues of, of poverty and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, triumph and struggle, you know, both sides of the coin. Uh, so you obviously have some experience, um, you know, with this topic, but how did you personally go about just interacting with people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've definitely, uh, took into account, especially recently, um, how how careful I need to be with taking pictures. I think that really kicked in heavily um, at the protests um, not too long ago here in Oklahoma City. Um, and a lot of that same thinking kind of uh, continued into this. When I first visited, I just kind of took a lap. Uh, I didn't take any pictures right away. I just kind of tried my best to soak in the scene and what was happening. And Anytime I try to take a photograph of a uh, of the line, I try my best to keep a distance, shoot at the back of people so I can illustrate the fact that there's a line, um, but also just kind of give people their space at the same time. Uh, and for the, I'd say for the most part, about 60, 75% of people are masked. So it makes it a little easier to keep people anonymous. Mm -hmm. But as far as... Uh, approaching people um there was a mixture of reactions some people were just so clearly tired and frustrated that the last thing they wanted to do was talk about it um after waiting for hours uh, and obviously you don't want to uh rub that in their face at all so you just you just say thank you for your time and move on but every time i just walk up to somebody and and just try to clearly explain like listen, I'm, I'm seeing this line, I'm seeing it persist. Um, something's not working. Can you talk to me about that and share a little bit? And um, it's been surprising how, how open people have been about this, but most of the people that have talked to me are, are willing uh, because they've just seen uh, how reactive uh, rather than proactive the, these lines have been and the response has been. So they're just, you know, more than anything, just trying to collect the money and go on with their day. Um, but most of my conversations are brief and just try to, you know, let it, let it, this really strange uh, 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 occurrence be as normal as possible. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's so unique about your reporting on this, and, and people can go to your, your Twitter uh, timeline to find, you know, photos and quotes from individuals that you spoke with, but instead of just these broad pictures of the long, the long lines, and I know some outlets have kind of focused on the scope, which obviously is is important in its own right, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, some of these portraits, I mean, like I said, at the, at the top of this conversation, I mean, you can really just kind of see the despair. Um, you know, one photo that you recently took was of uh, uh, Megan and Roderick, is what you say in, in Twitter, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Megan sitting in a chair, you know, kind of a, a chair that you would bring if you were normally going to go watch fireworks at the park or something like that, kind of a, a camping lounge chair. Mm -hmm. 
and Roderick is uh, is, is sitting on, on the sidewalk, and there's just a mixture of frustration and also just kind of resignment to this, you know, this is how it is, and this is what we're doing. And, and with mm-hmm. that photo, you said that Megan had said that she had already been to talk to someone, but she didn't get the back pay that she expected and was back at it. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. When I, when I approach the portraits, um, some people's immediate reaction though is to almost treat it like a school picture <laughs> and, and they'll smile and I'll just say, all I want you to do is kind of think about, think about this weight and think about this line and, and the past few months. And I kind of adjust my settings accordingly. And that's kind of, you can, you can really tell when, when people take that to heart, uh, because it, it really does change their expression right away. Um, you know, one man I talked to, Blake, uh, I mean, he, he, he put it pretty clearly just how dire his situation was. Um, yeah, he said to me, um, he, he's used to getting paid every two weeks, and that's hard enough. Um, uh, but going a whole month without income, he said it was, it, it was, it was horrible, and he just kind of fell at the mercy of of this line and i think he said he had been calling every day for four weeks so um yeah it's 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 a tough situation um and and my biggest fear out of all of this is uh we're seeing kind of a prequel uh to a mass amount of evictions Mm, and that's initially what kind of sparked my interest in in this story um because if these these people aren't able to get their questions answered and if so many are getting uh, turned away every day um i you know it's just a matter of time before it it gets so difficult for people to even pay rent so um that's that's initially what kind of what what sparked all this and and when i do take those portraits i am just you know i'm i talk to these people i don't not only want to know you know why they're there that day, but I want to know what their job was and what they did at their job. Um, and just to kind of illustrate that these are, most of these are just everyday people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back to the work you guys do at Curbside Chronicle. Um, you know, even though a lot of your focus is on, you know, those individuals who are experiencing homelessness. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the face that you put on those individuals, I mean, of course you are, you're partners with them in a lot of ways, not just with the vendors, but uh, some of the writing, that you, that you publish, but, uh, you know, these are our neighbors in every, in every aspect of the word. And so it's, it's sometimes it's hard to see that and just kind of a, a broad picture of a long line. Um, but getting a chance to see, uh, see faces and, and see the weight that they carry and hear a little bit of their story, I think is, is so important. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this too, to touch on a point that you had brought up about just kind of like what the, what the feel is in the line. Um, and another reason why it's just kind of hard to gauge the, the exact size of some of these crowds, uh, of some of these crowds, is because people also bring friends and people bring family to support them because it's been a you know it's 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 tough to just kind of sit with your thoughts for that time. So you brought up Megan and Roderick. Um, you know, uh, I believe they're I understand that they're brother and sister, and I think. Roderick was there more than anything just to spend some time with his sister. Mm. Um, I talked with a, uh, a woman named Aaliyah who's uh, pregnant and probably going to have a kid in the way in, in less than a month. And her mom was there just to, just to 
keep an eye on her and and keep her spirits up. So, I mean, it's 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 a it's a real it's a real um, it's a real interesting scene. That's going to do it for this episode of Listen Frontier. Today's episode included audio from The Oklahoman and was produced in the studios of Mostly Harmless Media at the Tower Theater in Oklahoma City. You can find all our episodes by subscribing to the Listen Frontier podcast feed. You can also find more of our journalism at readfrontier.org. For The Frontier, I'm Ben Felder. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Thank you.